When Donna and I were living in Fishers back in the 1900s, Reggie Miller was at the height of his basketball career. Everybody knew his name. And the the former Indiana Pacer superstar was this past Friday inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. At one time, he was the biggest name in basketball. But there was also a time when he wasn't even the biggest name in his own family. His sister Cheryl joined him on the platform at the big ceremony. She joined him there because she was already in the Hall of Fame. She had been an outstanding player in the NCAA. A knee injury kept her from making progress in the pros, but she was a very popular commentator. If you Google pictures of the brother and sister, you're going to see some very happy people. They were at the top. They have popularity, success, fame, money. But there is a sense in which none of that is real. I mean, in the sense that it isn't genuine, it isn't lasting. Of course, their pictures are going to be on the walls for a very long time. But since retiring in 2005, people don't talk much about Reggie Miller anymore. And his records are there, but several of them have already been broken. I'm sure he's got plenty of money still, but if you've had any real life experience, you know that money and even the things that it buys are all illusion when pressed hard against the realities of life. It doesn't count for much. So what is real? What really matters? What endures? If it isn't money, if it isn't success, if it isn't influence, what is real? We're going to explore that over the next few weeks. Joshua Walker, Jeff Stearns, and I are going to work our way through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a letter that addresses real life. Being real is important. It might be the little things. Now, when I go to a restaurant, this is one of those little things. When I go to a restaurant, I want the kind of potatoes that still have the peel on them and they're still a little bit lumpy because I want to know that I've got the real thing, not something manufactured that came out of a box. It's harder to know what is real, especially at the movies. The special effects are so realistic that sometimes it's hard to tell which is a real live actor and which is computer generated. Well, in the book of Philippians, we're not going to find any pyrotechnics or any special effects. There's not any hype, no flash. You won't find wild emotionalism, the kind of thing that you see when people go to a Christian concert or to a faith healing service or to a tent revival. But we do find something real. I'm convinced God is real. I'm convinced that the good news is real. I'm convinced that a babe was born in Bethlehem and he really is God in the flesh. That he lived a sinless life. He died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead and he is coming again. I believe that that is real. And the joy that the good news brings is real. 
It's real joy. And this real joy is for all people. It's not reserved for the spiritually elite. It's not reserved for televangelists or preachers or monks who live in a monastery. It's for real people who have to get up in the morning and go to work or go to school. It's for real people who have aches or chronic pain. It's for real people who eat too much on special occasions and are getting tired of reality television. The real joy is for real people who are trapped in real life. This isn't for people who live in some kind of fairy tale existence where a knight in shining armor always arrives just in the nick of time. Real life is not always like that. Now sometimes things go well. Sometimes our prayers get answered. Some days we never get caught by a red light. We don't get put on hold. And we don't kick the bedpost with a bare toe. But in real life, those things happen all too often. So for the next few weeks, we're going to explore a letter written for real people in real life. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians, to chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to offer just a little bit of background to what we're going to be reading here. In the very first words, the Apostle Paul tells us that it is he who is writing this. And he's writing it from Rome where he is in prison. He was allowed to have a house, but there was always a guard with him. He was innocent. He had committed no real crime, and yet he was a prisoner. Paul was writing to friends in Philippi. About ten years before this letter was written, he had been a prisoner. And he was a prisoner in Philippi. In this letter, from people to people that he had known while he was in prison, Paul uses the word joy and rejoice no fewer than 14 times in just 104 verses. The theme of this letter is joy. Real joy for real people in real life. I want to read for you the first 18 verses of the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want all of you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul tells us here very clearly that he found joy in the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ. And really the essence of what I want to say to you this morning is that this same gospel is our best source of joy for our lives. I want to point that out early in the sermon because one of the reasons that we get so very unhappy is that we are looking for what we want in the wrong places. What is it that we want? Well, as I listen to people and what they tell me they want, I hear that they want boats and motorcycles and bigger TVs. They want the latest smartphone. They want a a nicer house and newer furniture. They want health and energy. And if we don't have that stuff, we're just not happy. And here's something that we know. Deep down inside, we know it, and yet we behave as though we don't believe it. When you have all the stuff, you're still not happy. You have said to yourself, oh, if I could just have that, I would be happy. And then you get it, and you discover that you're not any happier than you were before you had it. If we do not have stuff, we're not happy. And if we do have stuff, we're not happy. And it's because we're looking in the wrong places. Because stuff simply does not bring joy. But Paul, who had nothing, had joy. So why was that? Why did Paul have joy? What amped him up? What pushed his buttons? What made him so different from us? As I read this, it seems to me that the difference between the Apostle Paul, who had so much joy, and we, who so often feel like we lack it, is that he made different choices. He chose to pursue a different goal. I want to take you back to verse 18 of our text where we read this. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now look at that again. Paul says, the important thing is. Take note of that. He's going to tell us what is important. The important thing is that Christ is preached. And because of that I rejoice. What mattered to Paul? What does he tell us right here that he wants? He not only says it, if you go back to the book of Acts and you read the record of his life after his conversion to Jesus Christ, every action, every word verifies this claim. His passion was that Christ be preached. When that happened, when the gospel was spread, he rejoiced. And this isn't just a fleeting emotion. This isn't something that just happened for a moment. Look at what he says there at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And I must remind you about where Paul was as he was making this statement. I need to remind you of his circumstances. He was in prison. His freedom had been stripped from him. And really, being in prison was in many ways much more comfortable for Paul. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to this. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits. In danger from my own countrymen. In danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. And in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So in addition to all of this, Paul tells us elsewhere that he had a thorn in the flesh. Prison, beatings, stoning, shipwreck, hunger, cold, naked, and a thorn in his flesh. Now, Paul didn't tell us what that thorn was. Bible scholars have been scratching their heads about that for years. Some think maybe it was sexual desire that he just had so much difficulty conquering. There is an ancient report that the Apostle Paul had poor eyesight. Perhaps that was his thorn in the flesh. Made it very difficult for him to write his letters. With all of the beatings and stonings and abuse that he took, some think maybe it was arthritis, maybe migraine headaches. 
How would you respond to all of that? When things don't go easily for you, how do you usually respond? Now, when things are going well, we usually think that it's God's blessing. If you narrowly escape injury in an auto accident, if you get a promotion or a good grade in school, if you are healthy and if you have enough money, you assume God is blessing you and He is smiling on you. On the other hand, if things go badly, we assume that somehow we have failed God. And He is testing or punishing us. Now, that leads me to an important insight. And that insight is this. Joy is found where we do not expect it. When Prairie View began, we started with small group Bible studies in home, in homes, and we used material from a publishing house called Serendipity. Serendipity means to discover the unexpected, and it is a happy surprise. And that very often is what happened then and happens now when you go to your home Bible study groups. You discover, as you study God's Word, the unexpected. And joy is like that. Where do we expect to find joy? Well, we expect to find joy if we're healthy and we're wealthy. We think that's where we're going to find joy. But real joy is serendipitous. Real joy is found where we don't expect it. Would you expect to find joy in an ancient Roman prison? Or in a prison in Philippi? And yet that's where Paul found joy. Some of you will remember from studying the book of Acts that when Paul visited Philippi, he was thrown in jail. And he and Silas passed their time in the jail singing, praising God while their hands and feet were in stocks. Evidently, joy is serendipitous. It is where you do not expect to find it. So why did he do that? Why was Paul finding so much joy when he was in prison? Why was he rejoicing when he was under house arrest in Rome? The answer for both places is the same. The gospel was being preached. They were in prison, and while they were there, they were spreading the gospel. The gospel was simply another opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you, to really get a hold of this, you need to understand how Paul thought. When he was in prison, prison became an opportunity to tell a different person about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And telling others about Jesus was his source of joy. Therefore, Paul could find joy even in prison. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that he could find joy in prison. It's a good thing he could find joy in difficulty because the gospel fuels conflict. Now, in, for, in America, we, we have forgotten that. We think it is something strange. We think it's terrible. We think that there ought to be laws against it. When people abuse us because we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ with 
a very few exceptions in the history of the world. The cross of Jesus Christ has always fueled conflict. It has been hated, banned, outlawed from the very beginning of the New Testament church. And so I want to challenge you to begin thinking differently. When people tell you to shut up about your faith, when people tell you they don't want to hear any more of your goody-two-shoes talk, when people tell you that the office is not the place to talk about religion, be happy. Rejoice in it. The Master Himself tells us that. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For this is the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells us that we are blessed. We are blessed when we're persecuted for the gospel. When we are blessed, we are blessed when persecuted for the gospel because we have a reward. Jesus tells us that we have a reward when we are persecuted for the gospel. In verses 9 through 10, of Philippians 1 in our text, Paul tells his friends in Philippi that his prayer is that they may abound in love, knowledge, and insight. He prays that they will have discernment, that they will be pure, that they will be blameless, that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now those are some amazing rewards. Among the rewards for the gospel are the bonds of friendship that are Forged among those who belong to Jesus. I want to ask you to go back to verse 5 of Philippians 1. And I want us to just skim through that really quickly. And I want to point out for you some of Paul's expression of his affection. Some of his expression of the bond that formed between him and these fellow Christians. Go back to verse 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. A partnership in the gospel. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work for in you will carry it until, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you. He has feelings for them. He has compassion for them. He has a longing and an affection for them. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They share in the grace. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of of Christ. When you share with someone else in the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, very strong bonds are forged. And it's in these bonds that we find great joy. Author Tim Hansel has written, Joy is magnified when it is shared. For two years, 
1998 to 2000, I experienced what was up to this point, what has been the most intense pain of my life. In 1998, a disc low in my back herniated and was very painful. And yet some of the most joyful times were given to me in that time of intense pain. People shared with me in my pain. I had brothers and sisters in Christ who, if they could have, had God allowed it, would have taken some of that pain for me. And their compassion brought me great joy. Some of them shared in the work of the gospel in me in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise. One of the things that happened was I couldn't drive a car very far. The pain was so great and radiated down my right leg and I just I couldn't hardly drive. And so there were men in the church who would take me to homes to visit. They would take me to nursing homes and hospitals. They even took me to the doctor. And I now thank God for the pain. Because it drew us closer together. We shared in the work. If you're spreading the gospel by yourself, God bless you. Keep at it. But if you really want God's blessing, share the load. Recruit another Christian to work with you. Share the joy. And if you are not actively sharing your faith in Jesus Christ, you are stealing. You are robbing from someone else the joy of sharing the work and multiplying the rewards. If you go back and look at the life of Paul, he was a part of a team. Right here in this letter, in his opening words, he says, Timothy and I. All through the book of Acts, it's Barnabas and Paul. And Paul and Silas. And Paul and Luke. And there were others who were a part of the team, sharing the work and sharing the joy. Shared joy. Great joy. Lasting joy. But it is a joy that must be pursued. It is said that as Benjamin Franklin concluded a stirring peach on the guarantees of the new constitution of our young nation, a heckler shouted, Ah, them words don't mean nothing at all. Where's the happiness? You say it guarantees us. Franklin smiled and replied, My friend, the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself. Mr. Franklin may have not been too far from the mark. You have to catch it for yourself. I want to remind you of something that I shared with you several weeks ago from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. It says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God's not hiding. God's not playing hide and seek. God is not eluding you. And God is not telling you that you have to perform a certain amount of work in order to be paid with joy. But He is calling you to pursue Him. And that brings me back to Reggie and Cheryl Miller. They pursued their dream. They had to go after it. They succeeded, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
Still, I want to ask you, where are you looking for your joy? Are you trying to find joy in wealth or health or success or popularity? Are you seeking joy in accumulating things? Or are you earnestly seeking Jesus Christ? Are you ready to experience joy, real joy? If so, find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel generates joy. If you'd like to talk about that, I'm going to be around after the service. Donna and I are planning to share with you at Pizza Hut. We could sit down then and talk about it. Your elders are here and very ready and willing to talk to you about practical ways that you can really find this joy. Let's pray about that. Father in heaven, you so abundantly bless us. You have given us your son Jesus and in him we, through faith and by his grace, find eternal life. Our hope is in the sacrifice of your son. Our confidence of eternity is found in his blood that was shed for our sin that washes away the stain. And Father, I ask that you will add to our hope genuine joy, real joy, joy that lasts, joy that strengthens, joy that lends courage, and joy that spreads to the people around us. I ask that your Holy Spirit will work in us and that you will not only infuse us with your joy this week, but I ask, Father, it will just overflow out of us and into the lives of the people around us. And I ask that you will grant this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.